about today's uh, message for this reason. This will be the first one that I've actually preached that might tick some of you off. So I'm very excited about that. My name is Joe Davis. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Life Sarasota. And uh, this week we're talking about bad dogs. We're talking about Philippians chapter 3, 1 through 3. Uh, bad dogs. The idea behind it is some things are just right and some things are just wrong. So with that in mind, before I get to the verse, I want to talk about... <clears throat> this is, and I'm not lying, okay? It's, it's, this is Julio the Chihuahua. It's a true story. So um, there's this path or this route that I use in my neighborhood that I run or walk, depending on how I'm feeling that day. And there's a section of my walk where Julio forces me to do interval training <laughs> to get the heart rate up. Because he'll come out and he'll chase me. And he's fast, dog. Like, he's, he's a fast dog is what I meant to say. He's fast and he runs, you know. And I'm always faced with a decision. Do I kick him? Do I outrun him? Which I easily could. No, I can't. What do I do? Do I ignore him? No, I can't ignore him. He'll bite me. And I remember, this is like about two years ago when I first met Julio. I was actually riding my bike, and he was chasing my bike, and I thought maybe I could run him over or something like that. And, and the owner comes out, Julio! Julio stops on a dime and runs back. And I thought that was cute, but here's another. That's a bad dog. That's what evil dogs do right there, okay? That's what they look like, right? See that? See the teeth? <laughs> That's a mean-looking dog, right? All right. Aw. Now, this is Valley. This is Megan's dog. Now, you can see Valley has this look of, I did something wrong. This is at the groomers, okay? And apparently, Valley doesn't like it when her feet are groomed. And so she snaps a little bit. So they got to put this muzzle on her. And you see she's looking at her mama like, really? Really, Megan? You've got to do this? And so while Valley is not a bad dog normally, when you try to clip her toenail, she is. And so that's, she's a bad dog. Okay? So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. We're talking about bad dogs. You're going to have to look at those pictures one more time, by the way, so you'll have to deal with that. But before we do that, let me talk about the historical application of this passage. Okay? Um, people don't realize this, but the religious at this time were the biggest enemy to the gospel. Not the Roman government. The religious were the biggest enemy to the gospel. And in chapter 3, what we begin to see is there is a change in tone. The first couple chapters, Paul has been very warm. He's been very affectionate. He goes, every time I think of you, I pray for you, and I, I love you and so much, and I'm willing to die for you, and I'm willing to live for you, whatever it takes. I'm sending you my best friends to make sure you're doing well, because when they come back, they're going to be good reports about how great you're doing. And he talks about all these things, and he talks in glowing terms. He loves them, and he cares for them. But then he changes from warm and encouraging to righteous indignation and, in fact, name-calling. And it's very understandable, though, right? Because Paul had done a lot to sacrifice to start these Gentile churches. This particular one in Philippi was probably one of his favorite. <clears throat> and we see the human side of Paul. Now, why was Paul changing his tune? Understand something. Paul had faced a lot of criticism in his ministry, 
What would happen is he would go to these places that never even heard of God. They weren't Jewish places. They were Gentile places, parts of the Roman Empire. He would go into these places. He would preach the gospel. God would save people. A church would start, and he'd go somewhere else. And then these people would come behind him and say, don't listen to Paul. He's an idiot. He's a heretic. He's an evil man. And they would try to undo Paul's hard work. They would deny that the gospel was all you needed, or they would take certain parts of the gospel and take it out. They try to twist it. They try to manipulate it. In fact, Paul says some preach gospel for money. Some preach it for the good reasons. And he talked about all the different reasons why people would come in and try to distort the gospel. Sometimes they distort it a lot. That wasn't as dangerous as those who would distort it just a little bit. And Paul, you can understand why Paul, I'm talking about humanly speaking, Paul was not sinless. You could see how Paul could build up a lot of resentment, right? And anger and emotion toward these types of people who would come, they'd wait for him to leave, then they'd come behind him and talk all this smack. Now, Paul's in prison. He's facing death for teaching the gospel. He was invested of course he would be passionate. So let's look at Philippians. Don't look at Julio. Look at Philippians chapter <laughs> 3, 1 through 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, but it is safety. In other words, he's saying, look, rejoice in the Lord. That's him saying, take it easy. I'm going to repeat myself. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And we'll get into that a little bit later. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in the flesh. And so once we talk about these dogs, Julio and Valley, those are, you know, he's kind of cute in his own mean sort of way. And Valley is adorable for sure. But I want to talk about these religious people and how they were enemies. As a matter of fact, there's a passage in Acts chapter 15, 1 through 5. I'm just going to read it to you. This is what's going on in the book of Acts. Uh, Luke wrote the book of Acts. He was a doctor. He was also a historian, so he was very good at details. What you're going to see outlined is actually the first denominational fight in church history. It's great. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> But some men, right, Daryl is great, a denominational fight, it's great. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. In other words, yes, you're a Gentile, and yes, you're a Christian, but you have to be circumcised. Now, I don't want to explain what circumcision is. If you don't know, just Google it real quick on your phone right there, okay? <laughs> Click on the text parts, please. And then we go to chapter 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small fight or dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. This was called the Jerusalem Council. It was the very first denominational meeting because there was a fight going on. Wait a minute, do Gentiles need to be circumcised or is the gospel enough? Can they continue to be Gentiles and, and not go through this ritual act of circumcision as adults even? Or can they just trust Jesus? We've got to talk about this. And so Paul and Barnabas were appointed to go represent the Gentiles in this Jerusalem council. 
So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. So here's what happens, right? They go and say, listen, let me tell you what's going on with these Gentile people that you say aren't Christians because they're not circumcised. They're turning their back on immorality. They're breaking their addictions. Families are being restored. They're loving people in their community. They're sacrificial. They're compassionate. They have been transformed in ways you would not believe. And what happened at the Jerusalem Council as Paul and Barnabas saying, look what Jesus has done with these people without religion getting in the way. It's just Jesus. The scripture says the apostles were like encouraged. It says, and they reported what was going on with the Gentiles and it brought great joy to all the brothers. In other words, all the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to, keep, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So what's going on is these Judaizers, these Pharisees, are spreading this heresy in Galatia. They're spreading it in Corinth. They're spreading it in Colossae. They're spreading it in Jerusalem. They're spreading it in Philippi. Everywhere the gospel was spreading, these evil missionaries were going beyond the pale and trying to corrupt the church. <clears throat> it was about the gospel versus religion. Yes, Jesus is good, but you've got to follow the laws of the church of the day, which was the temple. Yes, the gospel thing, we like it. Jesus is good, yes, all, but you gotta be circumcised. You have to follow the feast days. You gotta dress a certain way. You gotta eat certain types of food. You gotta hang out with certain types of people. You gotta go to church on a certain day of the week. You have to do all of these things if you really want to be saved. If you wanna be right with God, you still gotta do what we tell you. Jesus isn't enough. You must deny yourself. You must mutilate yourself through circumcision. You must strive to be religiously perfect. And then, added with faith, you might make it. So that's the history behind those three verses. You got it? Beware of dogs. There's a lot there, right? Jerusalem Council, all that stuff. Those three verses caps encapsulate lots of history. Now you know. Let's talk about the theology part of this, why the gospel is different and superior. And I'm just going to tell you, when I was writing this this week, it actually started bringing tears to my eyes. I started thinking about it. I'm going to read, if you guys would just bear with me, I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs from a book by the man named Philip Yancey called What's So Amazing About Grace. It's a story about C.S. Lewis. All right, just listen. During a British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world debated what, if any belief, was unique to the Christian faith. They began eliminating possibilities. Incarnation? Well, other religions had different versions of incarnation. Resurrection? Again, other religions had accounts of returning from the dead. The debate went on for some time, until C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. What's the rumpus about? He asked. 
and heard in reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. They couldn't figure it out. And Lewis responded, oh, that's easy. It's grace. After some discussion, the conferees had to agree. The notion of God's love coming to us, get this, the notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, the Muslim code of the law, each of these offers a way to earn approval from God. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. Isn't that great? When I read that, that's what started bringing my tears to me. I said, wow, that is so true. And as a matter of fact, Paul outlines this theology in several... Pa- There's, listen, there are dozens of passages I could have chosen from. I just picked three or four. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means you. That means me. It means you're not even close. But are justified by his grace as a gift. What else is a gift, by the way? Very good. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a payment by his blood to be received by faith, which is a... So here we see grace is a gift and faith is a gift. That's a great verse right there, isn't it? Romans 3, 23 to 25. This is my favorite passage in the Bible. You guys know that. If you know me at all, you know my favorite chapter is Ephesians 2. And 8 and 9 is probably my favorite in my favorite chapter. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's a gift. Good. Thank you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works or circumcision or religion or else you'd brag about it. That's the King Joey version, the brag about it part. I put that in there. Here's another one, Hebrews chapter 4, 16. I love what the author of Hebrews says here. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Isn't that good? You see the difference between the gospel and religion? And then I like this one. Right here, John 14, 6. Just in case you think that grace and mercy comes through some other way besides Jesus, Jesus says, no, 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 let me clarify for you. I am the way. I am the truth, and and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he says it multiple ways and multiple times all throughout Scripture. I am the true vine. You are the branches. I am the water. If you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. And he goes through that. So that is the theological aspect, what does religion say versus what the gospel says? I outlined some examples. Religion says, obey God's rules, and then he will love me. The gospel says, God transforms you and enables you to obey. Obey God's rules and he'll love me. The gospel says, no, you, you can't obey. I'll transform you and enable you to obey. Religion says, God loves good people and he hates bad people. The gospel says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and he loves them anyway. (laughs) Religion says, see what I do. Gospel says, look what Jesus has done. 
Religious people hide their sin to avoid spiritual embarrassment. Gospel-driven people are vulnerable, right? And confess and repent and admit to anyone who hears that they need help. That's the theological aspect of today. Isn't that powerful stuff? Man, the gospel is great. Let's talk about the devotional. And this is important. This is the part where I might make some people upset. Love knows when and where to take a stand. You know, sometimes as pastors, when we really love the flock of God that he has entrusted us with, we have to figure out a way to walk the line of being tough with the teachings of Jesus and then tough on things that some people might embrace that just are plain wrong. We have to be able to do this as pastors to be tough in a way that's not demeaning to others who maybe have not been given the gift of faith because the only reason we can believe is because God has given the ability to believe. So we can't be arrogant. We can't even be arrogant about the fact that we believe in Jesus because we wouldn't unless God intervened. So we have to come up with a way to be tough without demeaning or discouraging. And that's really hard for me because <laughs> I really like to lay it down. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and today, in Christianity, especially in America, there are many opinions about truth and spirituality. I'm just going to make sure you understand our take at Grace Life. There's only one way to Heavenly Dad. It's through Jesus. The cross. The resurrection. There is not more than one way to a relationship with God. There's not some teaching that somehow ultimately all roads lead to heaven. That's exactly what Paul was saying was wrong. He's saying, no, beware of the dogs, the evildoers. They want to adulterate the gospel with religion. So what I want to do is I just want to give you current popular examples of some false teaching today. That I think, I mean, there's, listen, it goes through different cycles, right? At different generations, other teachings were more prevalent. And, and what happens is things crest and fall. The gospel never does, but things go. So right now, there are a few things out there that confuse people. And as your pastor, I got to come up with a way to say this without being demeaning and discouraging, but also being fair and tough. The first one is that all roads lead to heaven. Now, all dogs may go to heaven, but not all roads lead to heaven. That's not true. Julio does not go to heaven. <laughs> Julio does not go to heaven. Um, Valley, yes. Julio, no. So, um, see, all roads do not lead to heaven. Let me tell you something. If all roads do lead to heaven, we're in big trouble because our Jesus is a liar when he says, I am the way. If our Jesus is a liar, he's not our savior. Logically, does that make sense? Okay. Salvation is not secure. Once God saves you, it's great, but you could lose it. Scripture says, no man will pluck them out of my hand. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it until the day of salvation. Let me tell you something. True salvation always saves It does a bang-up job every time. Because let me tell you something. If we could work our way out of salvation, we would do it. I did it on Thursday. (laughs) It's true. 
why it's true. When God saves you, he does a really good job every time. And now there's another part of these teachings that's really coming along, this, this thing called the emergent church, this postmodern movement that has created some very, very popular pastors. Well, I think are good men, and I like them. I've met some of them. They haven't met me, but I've met them. And so <laughs> here's the first one. Matter of fact, there's a very big church uh, in town that is teaching this, that Jesus did not have to die. He just chose to die as an object lesson of what true love looks like. That Jesus did not have to die to save us. He could have saved us without dying, but he thought it would be a really good exclamation point on his life. There's another teaching out there that the Bible is just traditions, not truth. Brian McLaren is a guy who says, the Bible is not inspired, it's just beautiful. And to borrow from my friend Chaz, who's actually serving with the kids, he would go, yeah, right. (laughs) Y'all know Chaz, yeah, right. The Bible is not traditions. I mean, there are tradition things in it, but the scripture is inspired. There's another group out there that says that hell isn't real or judgment. There's no separation from God. Let me explain something. If there's no separation from God, then there's no need for mercy. If there's no need for mercy, there's no need for transformation. If there's no need for transformation, you don't need the gospel. If you don't need the gospel, you don't need Jesus. Doesn't make sense to preach mercy from God if there are no consequences to sin. Right? I mean, what happens is people think, well, these theologies, they could unify. No. Let me say what happens. These theologies actually rob you of the joy of experiencing mercy. Because if you take away the consequences of our sinfulness, you don't need to be transformed. If we don't need mercy, we don't need scripture. And we don't need to embrace repentance. Why change? Why worry about recovery? Why worry about restoration? Why worry about making relationships right if there is no consequence to bad? Why do we even need each other? Why even have a church? See, bad theology about the gospel robs people of the joy of truly knowing Jesus and the fellowship of his sufferings because you miss out all of it. It becomes a swirling, sucking eddy of despair, a sea of nominalism and universalism with no real boundary between what is truth and what is reality and what is just idea and figment. And people have no idea where to turn for that rock, that foundation. So for me, for us, as pastors and shepherds at Grace Life, for us to really love you, we have got to figure out a way to repeatedly. Paul said, don't be burdened when I tell you this again and again and again. He says, it's not burdensome for me to keep telling you, so just have rejoice in the Lord and let me tell you again. We have to figure out a way to repeatedly warn you, as Paul did the Philippians, 
that these teachings are not true. They aren't healing. They come from dogs. Now, let me, yes, I like to be opinionated, but you guys, if you know me at all, I don't want to be a hellfire and brimstone pastor. I mean, I like to be loud, but I like to be loud about fun stuff, you know? I want to love people, but I've got a problem. And I know what you're thinking. That's right, you do. But, but besides those, here's the real problem. I have to figure out, we have to figure out a way to do this in a way that encourages growth, unity, humility, and compassion. I don't want to do this in a way that wins a debate. I don't want to do this in a way that wins an argument with somebody who hasn't been given the supernatural ability to believe in Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God, and he, and he died, and he rose again, and he's coming, to, coming again, and he saves us. I don't want to do it in a way that makes somebody who doesn't believe like me feel like garbage. I want to do this over and over and over again in a way that encourages you, that strengthens you, that humbles you, that keeps you vulnerable, and it gives you ability to have compassion for those around you that don't know yet that they need unconditional grace and mercy from Jesus. I don't want to win. I want to build. But love particularly pastoral love, will not let the dogs run wild. Because what they teach will mutilate your faith. That's why I'm telling you right now, you can count on your pastors and shepherds to call it out when we see it. Now, we, we will strive to do this with humility and love to not win an argument or debate. And we will work really hard on that because we want to be inclusive without compromise because we are passionate. I, we are passionate about you. We're passionate about your faith. We're passionate about your walk. We're passionate about your relationship with Christ. We are passionate about your vulnerable relationship with each other. And there is no way that we, as your pastors and shepherds, will stand by and let bad dogs like Julio hinder what God is doing in your life. We won't do it. Pray for us that we will be strong and vigilant with humility and grace and mercy, the same grace and mercy that saves us from our own wretched sinfulness.